Hey there, it's Lisa from the Culinary Chronicles podcast. On this show, I will interview people from all walks of life about their food experiences and culinary journeys. Food, feeding my loved ones, sharing meals, and the conversations and love that fill the table are what this podcast is all about. My father was a butcher, my uncle a baker, and my grandmother's after-school snacks were always a delightful Sicilian treat. I've always celebrated with food and found gathering around a table the most amazing feeling in the world. Culinary Chronicles is my way of sharing this love of food with you. I hope this podcast fills your cup with entertaining tales about the love of food. I wanted to welcome to the show my dear friend, Serene. Serene and I have known each other, oh my goodness, we should we say? So many years. No. <laughs> so many years. Decades. We're talking decades, um, I think. Serene, how can that be possible? We're only, you know. 25. <laughs> Serena has a fabulous background and interesting career. She is based out of Oslo. Mm -hmm. Right? Oslo, Norway. Oslo. Oslo, Norway. And I guess, yeah, welcome to the show, Serene. I, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and all the stuff that I haven't heard from you in so many years. So tell me, tell me, yeah. tell me everything. No, I think, first of all, I'm so super excited to be on your show. I think it's so cool. It's like podcast on food. I mean, hello, where to start? We love food. So, you know, the topic already, it's fantastic. And then having followed your journey and, you know, we've traveled a lot, both of us, and it's just been great. So thank you for having me on your show, first of all. Uh, and then, well, you My know, pleasure. I'm half Tunisian and half Norwegian. So most people, when they see me, they go, oh, but you don't look Norwegian. You know, they're blonde and blue eyed. And I'm like, yeah, I had my dad's coloring. So that's North African. And then I grew up in Norway, right? So I already from that start, I was kind of international, I think. And then I went to the States when I was 22 to study. And I didn't come home for 17 years, right? So I spent like 17 years abroad traveling the world. We'll talk about it in terms of all the food and everything. Um, but that yeah. was my background. And I stayed, I stayed working for, I don't know how many years abroad before I moved back to Norway. So my career has been international and it's been in HR mostly and management consulting, right? So people is my thing. And I do a lot of helping organizations in managing change and, you know, people all over the world. I've been so lucky to travel so many places. So it's been a fantastic career. You are, you are very fortunate and I very fortunate because we sat next to each other, desk side by side. Yeah. At, we were both at consultancy firms and I remember every day you would come with your Starbucks and your little treat and. We would just sit and talk about like all the treats and food that we would eat. Yeah. And I think we would go to lunch and with Dipika. And yeah, I think we, we both fell in love with each other in terms of our like attitudes and behaviors towards life, people, especially people. Yeah. And food. And so, food too. Yeah. So what was it like when you moved to the U.S. and you had non-European food or what was that? Was it a true culture shock? Or? I think when I moved to the States, you know, I moved into a dormitory. And in Norway, we don't even have like a... a official like university campus. Nobody kind of lives on campus, right? So I'd only seen this in the movies. And then I went to America and I moved into a dorm. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, you have to go and eat in like the university cafeteria. Uh, it was either that or you had like a microwave. 
And I remember the whole dormitory all, always smell, smelled of popcorn, you know, butter popcorn, because everybody used the microwave just for the butter <laughs> popcorn. So I can't eat that anymore. That's like, that's like ingrained. But I think we, we weren't really then exposed to, I think, the real American food. It was more like, you know, the canteen and the university cafeteria and everything. But it was such a huge selection for us, right? Because I came there and I lived in Norway and obviously much more traditional food. And that was in the early 90s. Norway wasn't so much, you know, big on restaurants and stuff like it is now. And well, we can talk more about that, what it's like now. But I think for me that it was just such a culture shock to go there and just be like exposed to all these drive-throughs and you could go to McDonald's and drive through. I could go to Starbucks and get a coffee with my car. I was like, OMG, <laughs> coffee with my car. It was like amazing. I'd never even seen a drive-through in my life. It was hilarious. So wait, was it, was it your first year at university or your second? Like, did you do one year you at university the whole at home and then you're like, there. Okay. I stayed in the States from ah, okay. 93 till 97. So I was there for years. So I totally, yeah, I stayed there for many years. So what was growing up eating? What was it like? Like you're like last year at home, I'm eating like this. Yeah. And then in the U.S. I'm having like giant. Everything, right? <laughs> now, I think when I grew up, so I grew up in Oslo with my mom and my mom was a single mom. So she kind of grew up. Now she brought up me and my brother. And she worked, like she worked in the same place for 38 years. She always went to work and then she came home and we might be with a babysitter before she got home because she was working. And so I think during the yeah. weekdays, she would go like easy food. Like she would do spaghetti with bolognese and not like an hour long bolognese, but just like meat, minced meat and uh, tomato, tin uh, canned tomatoes. And she would just do quick things during the week, but she had... Always, she made always Sunday roast. So my grandfather, he had a farm, okay? So he had a big farm with like cows and hen, like chickens and everything, right? Wow. So we used to go there and once a year they would slaughter some of the cows, you know, they went to a slaughterhouse and then they came back to the farm yep. and we would go there and like cut and do all this, wrap all the meat. And so we had the freezer full of nice, you know, meat. That was from my grandfather's yeah. farm. And so every Sunday, my You're mom so would... so lucky. Yeah, she would go to the, the freezer the day before because it had to thaw. And then she would take out a nice piece of beef or whatever it was. And she would roast it in the oven with roasted potatoes and vegetables mm -hmm. and some kind of maybe red wine sauce or brown sauce, some meaty, nice sauce. So like Sunday was like oh. the big, big hearty meal for the family. And then we always had the same dessert every oh, Sunday. Oh, really? We had, and we loved it. We didn't want to change. We had ice, oh, okay. we had ice cream, either vanilla ice cream or with like uh, salted almonds, but they were like um, sugared, like really oh. candied alm yeah, yeah. almonds inside the ice cream. Yeah. And then we had canned peaches and warm chocolate sauce. And we loved it. And we were like, and my mom was like, maybe we should do a different sauce or strawberries or, and we were like, no, 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 no. So did your mom make the canned peaches too? No, no, not at all. They were like from a can. Oh, wow. <laughs> we only wanted oh, wow. that one brand. That's, my mouth is <laughs> like, I should not record these before lunch because my mouth is like, you know, you get that thing. And then I think my mom too, she was so cool. Like um, she wasn't big on baking, right? So I love baking. My mom didn't really do baking, but she used to have this treat where she made meringue. 
And like, so if we didn't have anything sweet in the house, she'd be like, oh, let's make meringue. And we were like, oh yeah, let's make meringue. And then she'd make meringue and they would be like beautiful kind of swirly tops. And she'd put them in the oven and the oven was like down from the the kitchen counter. And we would sit on the floor and watch the meringue. And it takes forever. It's like at yeah. least an hour it's a very or long, right? slow process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we would sit there going, oh, the meringue, the meringue. <laughs> wow. Not a lot to do in Oslo growing up, is there? <laughs> and we, but we loved that part, you know, because it was the excitement. And I oh. have one more story to share about my mom's cooking. I mean, no, please. Yeah. I mean, yeah. seriously, I thought about this before the show. This is hilarious. Okay. So in Norway, right? We are traditionally farmers. I mean, it's like a farmer fishing, you know, kind of origin. Uh, and then in the late 60s, Norway discovered oil and gas, and then we became quite wealthy and we discovered, it kind of developed further from kind of, let's say, the farming industry. But traditionally, farmer and porridge is a huge thing in Norway. Porridge in every possible way you can make porridge. Okay. So it's not just oatmeal really? porridge, it's like rice porridge, sour cream porridge porridge in many different shapes and forms it's really weird you know for all meals or just for breakfast no oh no definitely it's like a dinner thing but we will have savory or not savory but like not sweet and then we'll put sugar cinnamon and butter on it it's weird yeah i know it's weird but for dinner i, I know I'm I, I'm not embarrassed, but you know, this is a tradition, right? No, this is amazing. Well, this is why I want to talk to people from around the world, because I think that would be amazing for dinner. And, and so, so, okay. So is that... So my mom, she... Like served with chicken or... No, no, no. Okay. So for dinner, my mom could make, we would call it, if it's directly translated, because I don't think it, it exists anywhere else, it's called velvet porridge. So it's all velvety and it's basically made, you start with the flour and some butter. And then you add on a little bit of milk all the time. You heat it up and you add on a little bit of milk. And then at the end, a pinch of salt. So it's just like this really creamy texture porridge that's really kind of, it's not sweet, but it's not savory neither, but it's just, uh, you know, just creamy. Yeah. And then you put it in. Like a polenta yeah, or a risotto. Exactly. Like a polenta, except it doesn't have the grains. Yeah. Right? Okay. And then okay. you put that in this. a bowl and you put sugar and cinnamon on it. But what my mom used to do when we were kids, and all my friends remember this is so fun. She used to take, what do you call it? Like the coloring that you use, food coloring, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she would make the porridge and then she'd like add green. And we'd had green porridge. And when you're a kid, that's like, oh my God. And they, my friends would be like, we're going to Serene's house and we're going to have green porridge. Are we going to have pink porridge? Oh, your yours was the cool house. Okay, cool house. Oh my the, gosh, I'm gonna try that. It's actually, I mean, uh, if you if you Google velvet porridge from Norway, you will see uh, photos. Actually, okay. I googled it just to I'm see. I'm gonna add that in the show notes. Yeah, can you send me the link? I'm gonna add that to your show yeah, notes that's so people fun. can try it. Yeah, yeah, people it's can fun. make it. So yeah, so it. that was a lot of my mom every day, and then the Sunday rolls, and then she would make like fun things like uh, you know green porridge, and we'd be all excited. Oh my God. And how old is your brother? Is he younger or older? He was older and my brother never cooked in his life before we left home. Like I would cook, but I wasn't, I didn't love cooking when I was younger. I have to say my mom would do the cooking and I would help clean. So I loved the cleaning up. I was the cleaner and oh. my brother, he would just eat. Okay. 
That was a good division of labor. <laughs> and then he was lucky. But now he is a much bigger chef than me. Like he is so into oh. cooking. He loves cooking. And he will experiment with lots of things. And he will do Tunisian dishes. And he cook every day in, uh, with his family. Um, and he has two kids and they're like 22, 24. All over the years, he's been the one cooking every day. Wow. So, so what's, what's the before and after? So like in, in Oslo, you were eating what mm. for university lunch? No. And then what were you eating in the U.S.? I think in Norway. You or, yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. I think. What were you eating back then? Exactly. I think in Norway in general, we are very big on bread. So we do open-end sandwiches for breakfast. You'll just do like a slice of bread and you'll put like cheese on top. And it's not fancy. It's not like you do a salad and avocado and, you know, you're just like slice of bread, butter and cheese. And then you'll have that. And then do you cut it with a fork and knife or you just no, eat just it like eat a... it with your hand. And like you'll have a cup oh, of okay. tea or a cup of coffee and that will kind of be your breakfast. Or you'll have oatmeal porridge because we love the porridge, right? <laughs> yeah. So why not the piece of bread on top? Yeah. Never. Maybe because we didn't have that much bread before. I don't know. Uh, okay. Could be. Because that's I... definitely not a Norwegian thing. Now you can get it in the bakeries and stuff. But if you go to people's homes, they would never make like that kind of sandwich. It would be an open oh. sandwich. And we'll eat that for lunch too. See, now we okay. have changed, you know, obviously with more international and quite like canteens, we get hot food at work. So we get like salads or walks or whatever. It could be Asian, it could be whatever, American, any kind of cuisine. Yeah, yeah. But I think yeah, traditionally in all canteens in Norway, you go, you find lots of bread. And, and any type of bread, lots of different breads. I have to say Norway, Germany, Denmark, I think are the ones with the most bread. We love bread. Yeah. Any shape and any. I remember seeing the open-faced and I think yeah. it was Holland and Sweden. Very, yeah. I was like, oh, this is so nice. We have, and then we, you'll put stuff on it and this would be eggs or salmon, smoked salmon. Yeah. Um, or like cured meats or salamis or even like mackerel fish in tomato sauce, which is yeah. a very Norwegian thing. It's very weird. Um, some people love it and some people hate it. Or caviar out of a squeezy tube. We love squeezy tubes. My friend in San Francisco. Okay, I have a question yeah, for yeah. you about Go this. Okay. So I dated a Swedish guy. Oh gosh, I hope he's not listening. But... He would wake up in the morning and take like a toothpaste tube. Yep. Yeah. And like squeeze it on. Mayonnaise? It, cheese? No, it was like a fish. It was fish. It's it was something caviar. It's caviar eggs. It's like, it is caviar. It's like the eggs from the roe from the fish. Yeah, I know. It's He just smelled like stinky. a whale all day. Yeah, I know. It's stinky. And we love that too. And we love tubes with any kind of like oh. cheese, fish. Uh, you know, anything you can get into a tube, we will like have the tube and put it on the yeah. bread. Yeah, it's like a fridge full of food toothpaste. I'm going to call it food toothpaste. Like That's it was it crazy. Is. I was like, what are you eating every morning? Yeah. The stinky toothpaste. Stinky, like, stinky toothpaste. Yeah, and it stinks. But yeah, no. And so when we yeah. into the bread, I think we never really introduced the hot kind of lunch until we had proper canteens. Like sweets, they would go out and they would eat. Um, hot meals often for lunch in the restaurant where the Norwegians kind of brought we used to bring already wrapped bread that we'd made in the morning 
You take out the slices, you put like maybe five slices on top of each other with different cheese or different kind of things, and they run into each other and stuff. Not so great. And then you wrap it in wrapping like food paper, <laughs> like baking paper, and you bring it in your and bag. And then you just eat it all day? Yeah, or you hand that for lunch. So you like, you went to school and you'd like bring out your pack and it didn't, wasn't even a box. It was like a wrapping like a baking paper. And then you had like three slices yeah, yeah. of bread and maybe at school you got like a small carton of milk if you had like paid for it because you had to pay for it for the school year. And then you sat there with your two slices of bread or whatever and the milk carton, the dry bread with the cheese. Oh my God, yeah, it sounds terrible. But what, tell us about your Tunisian background then. Like, did your mom make anything influenced by that? Yeah. Or did was it because your dad? Yeah, no, tell, it was my... Did you have that oh, growing up? Obviously, my dad, uh, he was still in Tunisia, so I didn't grow up with him. So my mom did make some dishes and we used to get together with other people who had lived in Tunisia and make couscous. You know, like couscous mm -hmm. with lamb and it would take like the whole day and the whole, yeah, it's like a massive kind of family feast. You get together, you start cooking because before it wasn't like instant couscous, you know, like you could do now. You could buy couscous. It takes yeah, three minutes. Yeah, I was going to say. But it, oh, it, how did it, what, it was like how a does pressure cooker. It's like you had to have like this special oh. cooker and you put in the couscous and the water. And then you put in all the meat and all the vegetables, usually lamb in like chunky bits of lamb and tomato sauce or tomato paste um, and some of the spices. And then it would sit there for hours in like a pressure cooker with a thing that you could like yeah, yeah, screw, yeah. you know, to let the air out. Oh, It was a big mission. I remember I when we were younger to make couscous, that was like a big thing. Yeah. I love couscous. That sounds like much... I do love it yeah. too. And when I discovered it, that three minute thing, yep. you just pour the water, you put the lid on, you're like, and I think it tastes the same, delicious. frankly. You know, I'm sure there is people would argue with that. Yeah. The one that takes hours would taste better, but frankly, you know. Yeah, I'm sure you shouldn't. Yeah, someone like a grandmother in Tunisia, yeah. you don't want to say it tastes the same. No, no. She, she would not like she that. She would be, you know, <laughs> shaming me for saying that. But I think growing yeah. up, I also have to, my, my dad remarried, right? So he remarried in Tunisia with a Tunisian. So he had two girls and they live in Italy, right? And I have a lot of contact wow. with them. So we have to talk about Italy and Italian food because, you know, I, yes. I know you're Italian and I love Italy and Italian food. Oh. But they cook Tunisian food, obviously, because they grew up in Tunisia. And they have taught me to grow, to make some dishes. So I, I learned more from them cooking than I did from my dad in terms of Tunisian oh, dishes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So where do they live in Italy? So one lives in Bologna and she's lived there the whole time. She studied there, then she married an Italian. She has two kids there and she's been living there for know, 20 years or so, maybe more. And the other lived in Milan, but now she lives by the Como Lake. Yeah. So posh. I know. Yeah, it's so beautiful. beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. And they're a big polenta area. Oh, yeah. Very big for polenta. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, the food, obviously. I mean, having family there, you have family there, right? Yeah, we just got back from two weeks there. Yeah. Like last week. Exactly. Oh, uh, I know. Just like having the excuse oh, <laughs> to go visit family yes. in Italy. Just to eat. <laughs> oh, amazing. Honestly, the eating is the main focus there. I mean, you just eat. Yep. And it's so, I don't want to say pure, but it's, so clean like yeah 
You just like I didn't have any snacks or junk while I was no, there because I had food. Yeah. Yeah. I had like fresh bread and beautiful cheese mm. and beautiful wine. Mm. And it's so Hello. easy and accessible. And I went to see my friend Paolo, who has a beautiful house in Puglia. And I went to the grocery store, which is I didn't know he said was one of the nicer grocery stores in town, but the town was tiny. Yeah. And I tried to buy a nice bottle of wine as a gift when I visited. And like there was no bottle of wine over nine euros. Yeah. Imagine. And I was like, yeah, how? how? So I bought like the nine, nine ninety nine. Yeah. I was like, I can get the best wine here. The back maximum. And, and it was beautiful. Yeah. It was a beautiful local wine. And he said, yeah, everything in that grocery store is like basically local from Puglia. And it was just, yeah, yeah so good to have that like slow food movement of you know eating and walking and sunshine and and yeah. i agree i think you just feel that it's like the hearty kind of food but not fatty even if it is like carbs it's quite a lot of carbs but it's beautiful and it's lots of vegetables yeah. and just it's just such a nice cuisine and the artisans like you know there's so the grocery store had a huge queue for the sliced meat and cheese section. Oh, yeah. Like, what's going on over there? Is there a sale? But everyone was just waiting for their sliced meats and their cheeses. And when you went, there's like, you know, 10 types of goat cheese. Yeah. And 15 to, and they're all fresh. They're not like prepackaged and, you know, uh. on the shelves. They're like in the case. And, oh, the um, oh, mortadella. So oh, the mortadella. Oh, I love that when I go to Italy. And it has the little pistachio nut in it. The half like little. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh it's so, so good. good. Yeah, I love going to. We Italy. have to resurrect our foodie trips. I know. Yeah, so yeah, because you did foodie trips. Yeah, so you did. Yeah, and we did yeah. a week in Tuscany, and we had a chef host us for a week at a beautiful villa that was owned by the Machiavellian family. Mm. And nice. like I said, that whole week, I mean, our guests paid a fee, and we had everything included. But like they were just pouring the wine, yeah. like water. They were like. You want more wine? I was like, oh God, our bill yeah, is yeah. going to be crazy we at the end of this because, you yeah. know, they paid one. F- no. Like five euros for a giant glass of wine. Yeah, yeah. Like top ups and food. And because, you know, we were friends with the chef and we knew people in the village. Like everyone just was like, oh, here. Yeah, take have this. this and, to, yeah, uh, have more. Taste this. So good. So good. Anyway, we'll have to meet up in Italy for a little. You know, yeah. Italy is um, it's a safe bet for food pretty easy to to eat well yeah so tell me what's the food scene like in oslo no i think norway has come a long way i think because i think also because we have uh, we have really good raw materials if you think about the fish and the kind of meat and we are really into we call it short traveled food so it's the kind of like us too yeah Yeah. so like the food that's you know we wanted to be produced close to us because it's ecological and it's good for the environment and then and also it's like fresh produce. They've started this really mm. funny movement in Norway that started a few years pre-COVID where there are all these like farmers and they might grow like, I might grow, grow tomatoes, at just like small scale. And I have might have potatoes or vegetables and I do like chickens or whatever. And then they would like post it on like Facebook pages and you would like purchase, you would order. So let's say I'm going to have 10 tomatoes. And then they meet up at like a market square, but it's not really a market square. It's not like a market. It's not official. Just informal. Informal. And then people will just go there with their cars and have the produce in the back of their boot. And I'm like, oh yeah, you had 10 tomatoes. Here you go. And people would like be really into the kind of old fashioned oh, almost. That. 
trading, you know, like, okay, I'll have the tomatoes, you have the potatoes and I give you money or I give you tomatoes for your potatoes. Is it? So that was pre-COVID? That was pre-COVID. And I think, you know, that has all been kind of coming with the whole ecological and short-traveled food and being more close to, you know, the produce instead of just going Mm -hmm. to the supermarket and buying it. So I think Norwegians are really into clean food, like clean products. We don't do like a lot of antibiotics. We're not allowed to use antibiotics in, let's say, our salmon fishing or farming. Um, You know, and we like to have a clean kind of, if you think of a plate and they have a dinner plate and you go to a really nice restaurant in Norway, it would typically be some kind of meaty white fish, like monkfish or, you know, beautiful piece of fish. And then you have potatoes and then you have some pureed, maybe peas or carrots or something. And it kind of looks very clean, like Scandinavian looking, I think. It's not like heaps of food and it's not like messy. It's kind of sauces yeah. and mess. Yeah. I think it's quite, you know. So the aesthetic is very, I think that's very common to Eastern Europe. The clean, like yeah. Scandic. Yeah, Scandinavian. I think it came from also not having so many ingredients, right? So it's like you grow your own vegetables, uh, lots of root vegetables because it's a cold climate. So that's mostly what we grew. And then you have the fish and you have kind of the meat and that's either beef or sheep, you know, uh, I was going to say. And um, yeah, or lamb in the season. Now we're coming into lamb season. This is a beautiful season. It's cooking all the big kind of pots with lamb. And we do, um, we do this dish where we do lamb in water with whole peppercorns and cabbage. Okay, the whole house smells not so great. <laughs> but it's tender. Like farts? Like yeah. cabbage farts? Oh, totally. <laughs> so you have to air it out and open all the windows and everything. But uh, the meat stays in the in the pot for hours, right? So it's all like tender, falling off the bones. And you have it with cabbage and boiled potatoes. And that's a traditional um, food that most Norwegians will have. My mom oh. will do that every autumn. You have to have this, um, you know. What's it called? Hård i kål. So hård is like lamb and then uh, in cabbage. So basically lamb in cabbage. Hård i kål. I'll find the link okay, for cool. that as well. Yeah, yeah, send me that. We're going to put this all in the show notes. We're going to be making a lamb stew. I love lamb. And I think, yeah, I love lamb too. Oh. And I think also Norwegians, you know, we have a few um, chefs in Norway who've made it far in the Bokus door, you know, the famous kind of um, chef competition. So, and they're guys. I think that's very <laughs> fascinating. Don't you think? That why are and all, what? all those guys, why are they all guys? Why is that? Don't get me don't get me started. No, I, I don't really understand I, it. I'm like, why? Because we do all the cooking and then the guys go and... It's not true. My brother cooks too. So it's not all women. But traditionally, it was a lot of women cooking, right? Well, when you look at the Boku store and all of those competitions are all male chefs and yeah. That's another episode. Yeah, that's another today, episode. But anyway, so hours. we do have some Norwegian famous chefs, I would say, in that type of area. Uh, and I think the restaurant scene in Norway has exploded the last years. I think COVID, of course, put a little, you know, uh, it was like a little vacuum that was non-existent. We have to yeah. pretend it never happened. But before and after, lots of restaurants, I think every cuisine you can find in Oslo now. And that was not the case when before I moved to London. You could not find, you know, Vietnamese or, you know, any kind of, let's say, exotic cuisine. Uh, you had an odd Indian yeah. restaurant, but now you can find anything. And we have Fedora, which is basically like Uber Eat or, you know, 
that's kind yeah, of yeah 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 we had that and yeah. and yeah. and you can order any QVC on there and and that just goes to show that there's enough people who buy that food for it to survive because we're only five hundred thousand yeah. people who live in Oslo and that's the capital oh so it's not that big wow <laughs> no and um. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of infrastructure for a small for a small uh, population, city, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And um, and I I have a funny story about yeah. Boku store. Oh yeah, it will do tell, do share. I don't know if I should say this, but I worked on the Boku store awards with Paul, Chef Publicus for one of the clients that I was working well, with. And uh, he's he's long well, yeah, he's passed, he's passed. on now, but yeah, he was um. This was many years ago, but he was still elderly and uh, we were booking hotel rooms and his assistant, I was like, oh, do you want, you know, a room for your assistant? And then she's like, no, I just sleep in the same room as him. And I was oh, like, no. oh, yeah. Oh, and he was quite grown up, let's say. He was quite, uh, you know, he wasn't young. I think he was. I think he was. <laughs> I mean, like he was old when I was, I was young, like, you know, so he must have been really old <laughs> yeah. when you were grown up. Because he was already old. I was like, we can book two rooms. Like, we have the budget. Yeah. And she's like, no, no. no it's I think she was the assistant for like the last 50 yeah, years. Yeah. I don't know. They uh, were traveling companions. I just thought it was quite Yeah, traveling companions. I thought it was quite funny. Yeah, that is quite funny. But also, I have to say <sighs> that a lot of uh, inspiration, you know, I have two friends who one has entered the Norwegian MasterChef, you know, so she's done like it. She will post lots of stuff on Instagram on just oh. also normal, let's say, everyday food, Norwegian food and other kind of Asian or whatever, you know, uh, food that uh, she makes. Uh, her name is Julie and I love following her on Instagram. And then I have nice. another friend, Elizabeth, and she was in like the Norwegian version of what do you call it? Bake Off? Like, you know, big bake off. Yeah, great Canadian bake yeah. off. Yeah, And yeah, we have yeah, the yeah. same in Norway, right? With lots of people. Starting with lots of participants and then it goes down to one, you know, and she like won that competition. So uh, she's super good at making cakes and stuff. And um, that's amazing. Yeah. So I, you know, there we we have a lot of focus on people who make food as well. I think Norwegians are quite obsessed with food because it's cold and dark half of the year. So we eat. Yeah. If you're interested in learning the baking basics behind making swoon-worthy cakes, I invite you to join our six-week online cake and buttercream course, which can be taken from anywhere in the world. Class starts every other month, and in these classes, you will make new connections and learn new baking and cake decorating skills. With weekly live Zoom meetings with our chefs, you will discuss your progress and your homework, and you will be on the road to becoming the cake decorator you've always dreamt of being. Training from our expert chefs teach you proven foolproof cake basics. This course is broken down into three different parts. Part one, cake. You will learn the science of baking cakes and test out your skills by baking six different recipes. Part two, buttercream. You will dive deep into the wonder of buttercreams testing out the most popular icing. Part three, decorating essentials. You will learn to stack, mask, and comb your cake to perfection. This space is filled with supportive, collaborative interaction and access to a fully immersive learning experience to transform the way you bake. You can find the link to join our classes in the show notes and use podcast 20 for 20% off. I look forward to baking with you. What's a Norwegian sweet? Like what's traditional Norwegian like cake or like a the dessert of Norway? Yeah, that's or a very something? good question. I haven't even thought about that. I think, uh, you know, no. traditionally, if you think about, let's say, what do we do for Christmas? 
one of the most traditional uh, is cold rice porridge with whipped cream in it. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> the porridge emerges. <laughs> but oh, I think, man. you know, Norwegians um, have adopted, like, let's say, the brownie. That must be like, we have our own little-go, like, brownie bag that you can buy in the shop and you just add uh, eggs and water. It's like in oh, instant yeah. kind of thing. And I think that must be the most sold product in Norway. Seriously, like every mother really? would be, make it because you're trying to be super mom and have a full job and kids and everything. And they all just make that brownie. Like that's a, that's famous. But I think in terms of desserts, I think like baking, let's say, uh, using the seasonal fruit, like apple cake will be very traditional in Norway. Okay. Um, For okay. birthdays, you'll make a sponge cake with whipped cream and berries on it. Everybody will make that. And we call it the soft cake. It's like soft. Because you like make oh, it soft and it's beautiful and nice and yeah, moist. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, people would, would bake that I'm kind hungry. of stuff. And I do that too. I love to bake I'm like, yes. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, me too. I should have eaten before this. It, okay, let's talk about, let's talk about London. Because you were, I guess you were in London the longest time that you were away. So 10 years. Because you were in the U.S., yeah. And then how long were you in the U.S.? No. So I stayed in the U.S. for several years. But during my time in the U.S., I spent a year in France. So I studied there for a year and then I went back to the U.S. And after the U.S., I went to Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean before I went to London. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Okay. And I used... So were you working there? I worked there. First, I, I went to the study abroad program and then I uh, went back to work for three years. And there I learned how to cook like Trini food. So Trinidadian kind of uh, chicken stews. You know, they do like lots of curry goat and chicken stews. Yeah. And, um, oxtail. Yeah, or... oxtail, exactly. But I did mostly chicken, to be honest. But, you know, lots of different ways of doing stews. And uh, I, I love the Caribbean oh. cooking. I bought like a big Dutch pot. You know, that I brought back home with me. Yeah. And the more you use it, the better it gets because it gets all like, you know, all the ingredients and oil, you know, just kind of saturates the pot. What are the spices in that culture? What's their main spices? Yeah, they use... Because they have such a unique flavor. They use like clove. They use garlic. Uh, they use cool. like, um, yeah, and I don't even remember what it's called now, but you know, like they're black, small kind of, not clove, but they are um, other kind of like type of peppers. Um, and yeah, they, um, they do have their own spices. I used to buy them in London. Like they had Caribbean ones in Tesco in Notting Hill. They used to have, or they still have like Caribbean kind of spices for fish or chicken. Um, are they the ones that do the double down, like the chickpea patties? Is that? That's, um, yeah. Oh yeah. Patties. They, they, because that's the Indian tradition that they get from, uh, Indians who, like East Indians who moved to the Caribbean. And they, oh, I love yeah. the cooking there. It was so exciting. You know, you come from Norway, which is quite like, you know, boiled potatoes and it's kind of traditional. And then you come there and you have all these exciting flavors in one pot and lots of different dishes and, uh, and fish and meat and colors yeah, and, and, and yeah. smells, you know. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. So, but no, so funny because when we were in Sicily, we we saw the chickpea fritters too in the market. And apparently, that's a very Sicilian thing that they fly, fry oh, wow. the chickpeas and put it in like a sandwich. I didn't I didn't know that that was a Sicilian dish because we never had that growing up. So yeah, and then all of a sudden, like, this is a thing. Yeah, 
Yeah, all in the markets. It was all these like yeah, people making it cool. and selling it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think then I Googled it and I was like, this is a traditional food of Sicily. Sicily. And you're oh. like, well, I've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. They do a lot of lemons. that on don't my they? roster. They do a lot of lemons. And I always think of Sicily like outdoorsy, beautiful. And then you have like the olive trees and then you have like lemons and oh, and the food, the pasta and the sauces. And yeah. Fish, yeah, lemon and beautiful fruit. foods and fresh produce. So much fresh produce. Yeah. Like, and nor- there's even one town we went to, and it's all about red onions. Yes. So they have red onion soup, red onion starter, red onion this, red, red onions hanging everywhere. I was like, this is a red onion town. That's what they have. Which you didn't know. Like, I guess each each area specializes in one in little one thing, production is, of something. You know, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And it's great. It's, uh, I think they, uh, I think because of the proximity to the ocean, like Norway too has a very long coastline, right? And it's kind of having the proximity to like you, you will be fishing your own fish and then you produce your own produce, yeah. you know, and it's now it's not that far to go and get it. And it's like short travel, like we said. And so you, you get a lot of really, really nice produce. I think that's seasonal. Yeah. I think Norway is very big and on it makes season. sense. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to be like that too, like less kilometers and less you know, the 100 kilometer foods and stuff like that. So everything is within the radius of your city. Yeah. But I do still see stuff that it's like fruits from like South Africa. I'm like, oh, of course. God, yeah. And I think, you journey. know, that's still going to yeah. be there. But I think it's just also kind of forces you to use different things instead of, let's say, always make an apple tart. Then it's like plum season. And then it's kind of like, oh, we're using plums instead. Or, you know, you are kind of like forced to try the different varieties. and. Now it's root, yeah. root vegetables is big in the autumn in Norway because they've like seasoned throughout the summer and now they are like at their best because yeah. we're just harvesting them. And so now the uh, the shops will be like filled with lots of root vegetables and beetroot and just lots of them that are fresh produce. And you and now is the time to do that, right? Uh, so I really like that, that they, yeah. you kind of feel that you are a bit forced to do different foods throughout the year through to the seasons i feel like we're the same kind of climate we have the same think so. similar like seasons it's the same kind of because uh, we're the exact same it's all like yeah yeah squash and beets and all the like root vegetables are now out and yeah okay so after trinidad yeah france yeah so uh, i i went to france and france i'd have to say was i would say my year in france was more about wine than foods but i was a student why not you know and so um I mean, we ate a lot of good food. Of course we did. And I studied in Burgundy. But I also did um, a wine class at university. So we traveled around to different vineyards and tasted wine. And obviously we got food. So the food was like, you know, part of it. But I think that the... Um, a bonus. It was an added bonus. <laughs> and the f- and making sure we, we had something to eat and not just drink. But I think I discovered France in a culinary sense, more as a, let's say, a grown-up going back there. Like uh, one of my favorite dishes in the whole world is when I go to, and it's a very posh hotel in Paris called Hotel Costas. And it's just beautiful. (laughs) And they do like... I love that place. Oh, you've been? Yep. I've not. I've just walked in and I'm like, oh my God. And they do lobster pasta, which is kind of random. You know, why would a hotel in Paris be famous for their lobster pasta? But like what, you know, 
you have that pasta and you will never have lobster pasta like that in your life ever, even if it's homemade. It's just like they, that's like their signature kind of dish, right? So I think France has much more than just the, let's say, French cuisine of like the very elegant and the clean, you know, salad and meat and entrecots and, you know, snails and all the exciting food too. Frogs, <laughs> frog legs. But I, yeah. you know, I don't really eat that much when I go there, but I think it, France has so much to offer in, in terms of culinary, right? They are just so into their food. They love their food, just like Italians. Yeah. Yeah. And they're very passionate about all their different regions yes. and wines. And, and, oh, and the whole yes. thing coming together. And I studied, I remember I, even before when I was 18, I went to France and stayed there for six months to go to like a high school, you know, to force myself to learn French, basically. And, um, and I oh. remember uh, I was so surprised because I stayed with this family or I went to this family's house to have food quite often. And they would do like all the dishes in a row. Right. So it wasn't like in Norway, you would get the dinner plate and it would be the potato and the meat and the, oh, yeah, all together okay. on one plate. Right. But there it was like, okay, first we have the salad and then you eat the salad and then you finish with the salad and then you have the meat. And I was like, okay, so we're having the meat and then we're going to have the potatoes or, and they would do like one and one dish. What's next? Tell me, tell me. Yeah, they're like, do one and one dish, you know? And to kind of savor that moment of the really experience eating that food instead of just putting everything together. But was that on a weekend? No, this was like an everyday way of eating. And this was down in Provence in south of France oh. with a very traditional okay. family. Very traditional. Like, wow, you know. Okay. And I remember I was shocked. Italians eat like that. Yeah, they do that? They do that, but more on special occasions. Not like every day, but like. If you're at a wedding, you get like a salad and then you wait and then you get a main and then you get a meat and then you get a fish yeah. and then you get. So it is like yeah. that, but only for more like, like gatherings and special occasions. Cations. But like on a weeknight, you wouldn't do that. No, no, no. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. I remember. But so I think my, my year in France was great. But I think in terms of um, eating and really appreciating French cuisine came later, I think, when I explored uh, the, that scene more. But then I went to London and, you know. I mean, London is just amazing for food. I mean, seriously, it's just amazing. I, you know what I used to love? All the like the Greek quarter, you know, like there's all the Greek food and you can go there and there are Greek restaurants and Greek shops. Yeah. And then all the Lebanese quarter. Right, exactly. Oh. Oh, all, the, all the places you could go and Chinatown, of course, the best like Chinese was almost the most greasy one. The one down like the basement somewhere and you were like scared to go but everyone went there and it was dirt cheap um yeah i love that and i still love that about london i think that you can find the best foods if uh, you just I dare so too, a little yeah. bit to go outside of you know yeah the main kind of yeah, tourist the areas chain restaurants yeah and chain restaurants pizza express no i went to a beautiful restaurant in london just two weeks ago i was in london and um it's just like in terms of the interior just gorgeous um it's uh the ivy asia and ivy is like the ivy yeah the ivy has been around for ages right and um yeah and that's kind of a traditional restaurant but then they made this branch called yeah, ivy yeah. asia so it's asian fusion food 
And they oh. have three branches oh, and one is by St. Paul's Cathedral. And it's like a jewel. You go there. It, the, the floor is made of like crystals, like green, like bottle green crystals. Everything is velvet. Everything is, you know, wow. beautiful and an Asian fusion food. Like anything from sushi to kind of beautiful bao buns or whatever it is, you know, the... Um, Wow. Oh, it was Where was that in St. Paul's? Like in that right, new little quarter? Right or? next to St. Paul's Cathedral. Like you have the view. It's spectacular. It's like you look out of the window and there's St. Paul's Cathedral. It's amazing. Just for the ambiance so nice. and the food, I think that experience was yeah. amazing. Really. Uh, yeah. I used to live right on um, St. Bride's Lane, which is, you know, 10 steps from St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh, did you so used to live there? House, I would see St. Paul's every. Because oh, yeah. because you were in Little Venice. Do you as know that well, church, St. Bride's Church? Yeah. Well, I moved down to the city for a little bit yeah. to stay, to Fleet Street, St. Bride. Yeah. And that was my neighborhood. Oh wow! Yeah. yeah. And I lived above a pub. Yeah. Hey, oh, that's so British. The pub, you know, pub quiz when the pub. Yep. So British. So yeah. British fish and chips. It was very quiet because, yeah, it was so quiet because it's a financial district, but it was such a convenient and like. It was magical for the time we spent there, but it was nice to go back to a neighborhood after. Yeah, that, I think both too, both has its charms, right? It's both as the uh, you know, and I think if you are lucky yeah. enough yeah. to kind of go to London to go on holidays and not just stay there and be like working and grind, you know, working and really kind of um, buckling down. But if when I go back to London now, it's mostly just to enjoy myself, right? And I would uh, visit all the air, all the all my favorite restaurants in Notting Hill. And go to the Italian Osteria Basilico and have Italian with like those checkered, checkered tablecloths and, you know, small yeah. and crammed and noisy and beautiful food. Yeah. And I'll go to the ENO in Notting Hill, which is Asian fusion and more like kind of, you know, CNB scene. And this, the restaurant scene is just never ending, beautiful food. So good. Yeah. I know. And so many pockets of different types of restaurants. And, and I think. This is my advice to young people is get a job in a magical city because yeah. I think probably like you, some of the best restaurants that I've been to, like I went to the George Sank in Paris. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like you call hotel costs. Yeah. And that was all paid through work. My work because we were entertaining guests yes. and clients yeah. and I would never be able to afford no. these restaurants as a, you know, 25 year old. But like the, the magical scenes and just like if you work in New York, you can take clients to all the best restaurants. Yes. And yeah. So I agree. And I think, I think that me too. We were both lucky yeah, to have that. Super lucky. And I think, you know, I've been to many Michelin star restaurants. I remember the first time I went and I just sat there with big guys going, pretending I thought this was normal. Like I'd experienced this many times before. And it's like 12 waiters running around and brushing off your little breadcrumb. And, and you're like, oh my gosh, they're coming again. And you get like the experience is incredible, right? And if you've never done it before and you're young and, you know, it's an amazing experience. So I think uh, having the opportunity to try different things and actually go like the takeaway on the corner uh, is great. And then the Michelin star is great. And there's everything in between. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time someone gave me five choices of sea salt, yeah. like pink, black. And you're and like, I was like, uh, salt. <laughs> The pink, I like the pink, yeah. The pink one looks cute. Okay, I'll take that. And it was like, a, it was a, I think it was a one star. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. cool. Exactly. So, yeah, the, the magic of food is the experience. Like, what's your take on, yes. like, that restaurant, mm. the velvet, the floor? Like, yeah. that's 
the whole theater. Exactly. Of it's the setting and the ambience and the kind of just feeling you get when you're there. And I tend to seek now being, you know, having traveled and, and seen lots of things. I seek to, or I, I, I tend to seek when I see, you know, when I look at what I actually do food-wise, I either go for the really simple kind of like um, when I was in London, just like I said a couple of weeks ago, I stayed at, uh, I rented an apartment in Notting Hill and I had takeaway. I, and it's like from a cheap, like takeaway place that has Caribbean food. And they have like chicken, stewed chicken and pe- rice and peas. And, yeah. and I'm super happy with that. And then I go to the, you know, Ivy Asia and that's like much more flashy and you book a table and you dress up and it feels super nice. And, and I tend to go for the kind of places that either has an experience or it's more like hearty food. So if I get to yeah. choose, I don't do the Michelin star. My brother, he loves that kind of cuisine. Like you get the 12 small dishes and they have like, they're really, you know, uh, complicated and really special. And for me, I'd rather have like a bowl of homemade pasta. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. anytime, give me the pasta or, you know, like the hearty kind of food that looks like food, tastes like yeah. food. It's, you know what you're eating, it's food. It's not done with like tweezers. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like. See, I love, yeah. I love both. You do? Yeah. But it's like, yeah, you just kind of like, depending on the occasion, sometimes you just want to have street food yeah. and, and like curry. Exactly. And, like, and London is so good for curry. Yeah. Shawarmas. Yeah. Falafel. Yeah. I think I had falafel oh. every day at one time. I worked beside this falafel stand. It was oh. a variety store and this like. I love that. Middle Eastern man would like put a plastic cover over all the like chewing gum and candy and make falafel, falafel lunch and then and take know. it off again. Yeah. And then, you know, after one o'clock, the falafels were done. He then became a variety store again. It was so magical. Yeah. So yeah, I think I love both. I love the theater and getting dressed up, but then I love. Yeah. The ca- kind of casual oh. and easy, easy, accessible. And yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. And I think we're so lucky to have so many choices. I think, you know, obviously you live in Toronto has, I'm sure all the choices and much bigger than Oslo. But I think even like when I can say that Oslo has a great choice and we're quite small and we're up north and there are yeah. that that goes to show that we come such a long way when it comes to tr- kind of experiencing different cuisines in every city you go, at least in Western Europe and, yeah. you know, in, in the States and the Americas in general. I think you are exposed to so many different options. We're so lucky, I think, now compared to 20 years ago. Yeah. And I think even Toronto's come so far because before I moved abroad, I was like, oh gosh, Toronto's terrible. There's like two or three bars, yeah. two or three restaurants, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then when I came home, I was like, yeah, something like, happened. This is kind of cool. We're, yeah. we're cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we got, now there's like so many restaurants and bars and yeah. So it didn't feel like such a shock to come home because it was always the same, you know, when, when I was 18, 19, it was the same bars to go out at and two or three restaurants to hang out at now yeah lots i still you'll never try them no, all exactly yeah, you'll so never try them all there's more than you ever get to which i think is really is really really good and great for us and it's a luxury problem not to get to try all the restaurants yeah. so what's your favorite restaurant in london oh i think um no i i think i have this routine that i have to go to like i have to go to this italian like i said i have to go to the eno i have to go to electric brasserie i have like a handful that i have to go to otherwise i feel oh, i haven't I been in london but i think one of my um i think I, okay. I remember thinking about ba before i came on the podcast 
um, one of my favorite food moments, and that's not related to London, mm. but it was just like thinking of when you remember that you had like a great food moment, you know, because you eat a lot of great food. And I remember I've had lots of great food, but I don't remember all of it. But I remember my friend Truk, uh, she's Vietnamese and she lives in San Francisco. And she's a baker like you. She hasn't made a business out of it like you, uh, but she she's an amazing cook and chef. And she blogs, she has her own blog and, and everything. And she, her mom, I went to her house once outside San Francisco. It's in Stockton. It's kind of past Berkeley in a way. Outside San Francisco, we went home. Her mom is Vietnamese, came for, as a Vietnamese refugee from Vietnam, you know, in the early, uh, I would say, 70s, mid-70s. And she made home-cooked Vietnamese food. I think I died and went to heaven. Yeah. You know, I think I literally died and went to heaven. I have never, like, had that type of Asian food before, after. And I can't even put my finger on exactly what I had. I just remember eating and all like my senses, just kind of, it was just like an explosion of the flavors and textures. Oh. It, everything I eat after that, uh, I, like Asian food, I'm always comparing and I'm thinking, oh, it's not like my friend Truk's mom. She has to cook for me. <laughs> I have to go there again. You know? Oh, you got to get back there. I, know. I love that story. Yeah. And, and I think I those experiences story. are like, so uh, kind of almost like stuck in your memory, right? I 100% agree. And you talking about that reminds me of my best friend, Rana. Yep. Her mom's Lebanese and her mom, because we would all, we're all living abroad. Whenever we would come home to Toronto, she would make like Lebanese food, like fatouche and tabbouleh and kofta yeah. and nice. hummus tabbouleh and, and baba ganoush. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. And like... I, I think I, like when you said I died and went to heaven, yeah. I would just be like, wow, yeah. just sitting. I can remember the day we were just sitting in her mom's living room. She had this big marble table yeah. and we just kept eating and eating. eating and like the pomegranate. And yeah. And it's just like, oh. it's. And no, and no Lebanese food ever matches exactly. that because. And I, I think it's the ingredient. The ingredient yeah. is love. Like I that agree. mom made that with love and mm -hmm. Ramza cooks with love. Like she. She'll cook and give all her food away. Like she just yeah. does it because she's cooking so... because she's like actually providing the love, you know, through food. Oh. Uh, I love, I love that. Yeah. And I think I have, you know, I love food and I love cooking. I cook uh, at home. Uh, I have to say I love cooking more when I'm with people or for people. So like when I'm on my own, yeah, I will cook sometimes, of course. I will. But, you know, I, I enjoy much more kind of having, let's say, an audience, some recipients who would be super happy. And I'm, I think, of course, I think, you know, the, the fact that you're doing it because you want to uh, please someone and they're going to appreciate, you know, the love you put into it and the effort you put into it. Uh, I think that's so much of the experience of cooking and eating. It's kind of being appreciative of somebody who has taken the time and the effort to make real food and make it from scratch and you know, whatever you do, even if it isn't all from scratch, just making that meal to, to give you that experience. I think it's so uh, special and, you know, it's, it, it brings a lot of joy. I think every day, every time. It's like a goldfish, you know, I'm happy every yeah. time I close my eyes and I'm like, oh, happy again, happy again, happy every time. <laughs>
I love it. Well, I think that you have to come to my house for dinner or I'll have to come to yours for dinner because I would love that just to make a big meal together. Yeah. Oh, and just hang and drink wine and catch up. And come to Oslo and visit me. You know, Oslo is beautiful. I think everyone who comes to oh. Oslo says it's beautiful. And it is. The scenery, it's fjords, it's mountains. It's just a beautiful place from a nature and scenery point of view. And it has great restaurants and beautiful people, I have to say. So, you know, it's all all positive there you go yeah. so i'm sold yeah. i just need to stop this work thing because yeah. like yeah, yeah. put that on pause for a little, little and... bit you know put that on pause and um and but but you yeah and running my own business i don't have an expense account to go to no. all the michelin starred restaurants anymore it, uh, so i got it no i know see that's uh exactly yes very very good i am um, you know, saying I started a new job. Maybe I can get to, to travel a bit again. I can start eating again. <laughs> okay. I'll be one of your clients yes, when I come visit. Exactly. For sure. <laughs> For sure, Aww. Lisa. Well, yeah. I just wanted to say thank you so much. Um, I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know you're busy. Well, it's nighttime there. Nighttime. So, so you're, this you're is Friday night. Day, now it's probably time for a glass of wine. And I'm going to have some Greek salad oh. that I bought in this Greek little shop. Uh, down the street, some Greek, uh, Greek couple with their daughter runs this nice. shop down the street. Uh, and I bought a Greek salad. I would really fit the cheese. Uh, and he was very excited about where it was from. Oh, so nice. I'm going to have Greek salad and a glass of wine on a Friday night and enjoy. Oh, yeah. That sounds blissful. And where, where's their wine? Is there wine in, in Norway? Do they make local mm -mm. wines? Not at really all. Nice and we wine? have a wine monopoly. But, you oh. know, that's a, kind of like a state, it's a state-owned thing. So it's only sold through, through their shops. But the great thing about that is that they are so knowledgeable and they buy big quantities, right? So they get the best wine, they get the best deals, uh, and they know a lot about wine. So whenever you go there, you, it's like going to the best off-license every time. Because you can like say, I'm having oh, okay. scallops or I'm having whatever you're having. They'll be like, yeah, you should try this. Do you like it? You know, like it this way or this oh, way. Okay. And so it's, um, it's, I have a wine monopoly just down my street. So I'm covered. It's good. <laughs> I'm very happy. I'm happy to hear that. It was so lovely, Lisa. Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to see you, first of all. I think we look, uh, you know, not a day older than when we saw each other uh, the last time. I think we look, look even more fabulous. And I think it's so nice that you have this podcast series. I love the idea of uh, sharing I know. sharing the food stories. And I've loved, yeah, I've loved our chat. I feel like I didn't even look at any of the questions I had yeah. for you. We just chatted and... I think we could chat about food forever. forever like for this sure. is why I started yeah. this because I can I can connect with you and and Topeka's on my list yes. to like just talk about yeah. all the different. You have to talk to her. Yes. And, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I'm so grateful that I still have you know all these wonderful women in my network. And yeah. You're a CEO of a fabulous company, and you've had such a great career, you know, globally. So, and I think it's so um, we can talk about career yeah, stuff another, another time. time but yeah. I think it's so cool <laughs> that we have social media because if it wasn't for this, we haven't, we wouldn't have been able to stay in touch. Now we can follow each other, and yeah. I follow what you do, and I'm like all like, oh, she's starting a business, and you know, the lactose cookie yeah. company, and and I'm telling people about it. I go, yeah, I have this Canadian friend and she started this company and she's doing, you know, cookies for the, and, and, I, and I'm explaining it and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, nobody's done that before. I'm like, no, nobody's done that before. So it's so, <laughs> you make the news all the way to Aww. Norway. 
Thank yeah. you. And I, yeah, like social media, I, I've been seeing what you've been doing all these years, which is nice. Yeah, likewise, Lisa. We still can pick up and chat without any, you know, any time. Exactly. Past, so. And we chair for each other and we chair for food and yes. love, the love of food for, our, you know, the rest of yeah. our lives. For sure. That's what keeps us every day yep. fueled. So, yeah, I'm super, super thankful to have you in my life. Yeah, likewise, Lisa. And, um, have a nice evening. Thank Have a you. toast for me. I'm, I It's only, what time is it's it like here? It's like 12 or it's something. It's only noon so here, so I got to... Might, might have to wait a few more hours. <laughs> I know. Maybe we can have like a cheeky yeah. Friday drink, but yeah. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Bye, Lisa. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of Culinary Chronicles Made with Love. Before you go, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. For more information on the show, visit ladolching.com. And for more behind the scenes, follow me on Instagram at Lisa Sanguidolce.